Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Easter to you all. This is a day of celebration, isn't it? Amen. And for more reasons than one. Here at Sailorville, we're celebrating uh, the birth of a couple of babies just in the last 24 hours. We're rejoicing with our missionary appointees to France, Tyler and Kat Betts, at the birth of little Liam right here. How's that? And then at the wee hours of this very day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, little Alice Bush came into this world. Our youth uh, directors uh, right here, and they're both in the NICU, but they're doing good. And they're watching. So God bless you, Betzes and Bushes, today. Even though you can't be with us, we know you're with us in spirit, and we congratulate you. Praise the Lord. And it was on this morning, in the wee hours of this morning, the greatest event in human history occurred. The resurrection of God himself from the grave in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And we have been uh, looking over this last month at a series called Portraits of the Passion, looking at several snapshots, pictures, portraits, if you please, of especially the Lord Jesus, but other characters as well, both Old and New Testaments. Uh, here's my question to you, though, this morning. If I, if I could get somebody to draw a portrait of your heart, your personal heart, what would it look like? What would that particular portrait look like? You know, if we had portraits of the disciples of Jesus at the time of his death, they, those would not be pretty pictures. Uh, Judas would be of a dead heart, literally dead, having committed suicide after betraying his his Messiah that he never really claimed from the heart. Peter, the leading apostle, would have, would have an inconsolable heart because he had denied his Savior three times and would have to lay, wait to be restored. And then there's Thomas. And we, know, we don't know. We, no one knows where Thomas was when Jesus showed up after rising from the dead. He, he would have had a despondent, despairing heart, wandering the streets of Jerusalem, not even hanging out with these other guys. And then there's John. John, remember when Jesus died on the cross, he, he, he basically gave his mother over to John, who was right there at the foot of the cross. And if you'll recall, 33 years earlier, a Simeon held the baby Jesus in his arms, looking at the mother and said, a sword will pierce through your heart. And so if we did a portrait of John's heart, it would be a surgeon's heart. Because at this time of his death, he's trying to remove that sword, figuratively speaking, from Mary, the mother of Jesus. And if we had a picture of the rest of the disciples, it would probably just be a fearful heart because they're in hiding. They don't know if they're the next ones to be condemned and crucified. It's not a pretty picture. What they didn't know was three days after he died, the heart of Jesus began to pulsate. Amen? All over again. There are many hearts represented around the death of and resurrection of Jesus, and I wish I had the time to tell you about all of them. I'd love to tell you about Joseph of Arimathea, a leading member of the Sanhedrin. He had a courageous heart. The Bible tells us he was a secret disciple of Jesus, and if you were in Luke chapter, if you, if you got your Bible, you can go to Luke 24, but just a few verses before that, there's a depiction of Joseph. He's, he's a disciple of Jesus, though secretly, he wasn't a part of the conspiracy to condemn Jesus. But what brought out his courageous heart was the death of Jesus himself. 
In fact, the Bible tells us in Mark's gospel, Joseph gathered up his courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. That's exactly what the Greek says. He had to gather up his courage because he had a courageous heart. Imagine the irony of that would have been to Pilate, who just hours earlier had members from that same Sanhedrin condemning Jesus, saying, crucify him. And now another one comes and says, may I have his body? You got to know that in Bible times, if you were a condemned criminal, crucified, you lost the right by, by Roman law, you lost the right to a proper burial. In fact, you would remain on that cross and you would be subject to the birds of the air and the dogs on the ground. In fact, if you read Psalm 22, which is another portrait of Jesus, the cross from his perspective, if you read that, it says, dogs surround me. Have you ever read that? Now, most people see that as figurative of the enemies that were telling them, come off that cross if you're the Christ. And it certainly is that, but it also was literally true. Dogs would surround the crucified, just waiting for him to die, to tear into them. They didn't get dignified burials. They just rip them off the cross and throw them in the dump next door called Gehenna. But Father God was not about to allow his son, the Lord Jesus, to be further, in, to, to, to have to have any more indignities leveled upon him. It was enough that he died for us. Amen. And so he brings up this courageous heart, Joseph of Arimathea, who, according to the prophecy, lays him in a grave never used before. The courageous heart. I wish I had time to tell you about him, but I don't. I wish I had time to tell you about the women. The women who had consistent hearts. The women around the story of Jesus were amazing. In fact, let's pick it up in the story. I'm, I want to go to Luke chapter 24 where it says, now on the first day of the week, when uh, very early in the morning, they, that's the women, and certain other women with them, came to the tomb, bringing the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Another, another part of the gospel say they were talking about, how are we going to get the stone out of the way? And it's already away. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid to, and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you, this is the angel speaking, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. There we go. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. This is, this is to the women who stood head and shoulders above, above the men. In fact, Luke's gospel tells us that in addition to Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Joanna, there are a bunch of other women. They followed Jesus throughout his life. They ministered to him throughout his life. They were there while he suffered. They were there at the cross. In fact, Mary, the two Marys and Joanna literally were staring at the grave as Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea placed the body of Jesus into the tomb of Joseph. And they were the first at the tomb in the morning. These women were rock stars. The only thing they had missing, the only thing that they lacked was faith. If they had faith in what the angels reminded them of, they wouldn't have shown up with spices. They'd have shown up in celebration garments because they'd have believed he rose. 
19 years ago, on this Easter, a family showed up in this church. And one of them was this woman. Some of you know her. Her name's Donna Kimberly. This is her very last Easter as a member of Sailorville Church. Her son's coming up from the south, and they're going to start a church north of here. We're super pumped for him. When she came, and if you'd have known Donna uh, 19 years ago, you'd have seen her just like these women, kind, nice, considerate, a servant, a church-going girl. She had everything going for her, but she only lacked one thing, faith in Jesus Christ. And when she heard the gospel and realized that she lacked faith, she placed her faith in him, like these women would do. In fact, later on, Donna would say this, and I want you to hear what she said. She said this later to me. She said, Pastor, my greatest sin was not believing in Jesus. And that's where some of you are today. You're religious, but you're lost. You're, you're good people, you're nice women, you're nice guys, you help others, you're considerate, you're a community person, but you don't have a heart of faith in the Lord Jesus. Today, all that could change. I wish I could tell you about these women, but I just don't have time for it, okay? So, consistent hearts. I, I wish I could tell you about, and I had time to tell you about the angels that showed up at the tomb, and the women, when they, we just read about it. Because they give us a remembering heart, or a heart of remembrance, let's put it that way. Now, if you think about it, we need to be reminded. Remember what the, the angel said that to the, the angel said to the ladies, don't you remember? He told you this was going to happen to him. He told you he was going to suffer. He told you he'd die. He told you he'd rise from the dead. He told you back in Galilee, don't you remember? We need reminders, don't we? Do you need a reminder once in a while? Reminders help us. They encourage us. They exhort us. They give us hope, and hope keeps us going when times are hard. We need reminders of the promises of God in our lives, the promise of the resurrection. Let me tell you, I woke up this morning, opened up my iPad, and I saw that hundreds of people were killed in various churches in Sri, Sri, uh, Sri Lanka where terrorists exploded on Easter Sunday, bombs that killed many people. Those families need to be reminded of the promise of God, Amen. Just the other day, our leaders got together, and we had two of our deacons who are going to a church that we're planning in North Ankeny called New City Church. We're excited about the people of Sailorville Church going with them. And they stood before our, or actually sat before our leadership, and one of them, you might recognize him, whether you do or not, doesn't matter. It's Randy Kleinfelder. Randy's been a part of this church for over 30 years, and we gave him the floor. And for the next 10, 15 minutes, Randy went through a history of his time here. And he wept unashamedly of his love for Jesus, his love for this church, the times that he, where, where things were going great, times where things were going bad, times where things were so bad that a paw was over this church. It was just obligatory for him and his wife to come and family. But he did because he was faithful, and he was faithful to the promises of God who's more faithful to us than we are to him. And as he wept and then remembered how God had blessed, brought revival, souls have been saved, baptized, the church has grown, we planted now, we're heading into a fifth church plant. We all rejoice together. And Randy reminded us, and in so doing, he, he, he inspired us, he instructed us, and he reminded all of us of the promises of God.
these women at the tomb had been told by Jesus these things, but they'd forgotten. So after the angel reminded them, the Bible says, then they remembered his words. That might be true of some of you. You've heard this story a hundred times, but it's never clicked until maybe this morning. Maybe it'll click with you this morning. And you'll remember that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again just as he said. I wish I had time to tell you about that one, but I don't. What I'll do for the balance of my time, I'll tell you about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who tell us about a burning heart. And that's what you need if you want to have a resurrected heart on this Easter. A burning heart. Uh, These two guys, verse 13 of chapter 24 picks it up, and behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, we have no idea who these two guys are. We don't know who they are. We just know they were disciples. They were followers of Jesus. And we know they're downtrodden. They know that their hope is gone. And Jesus, Jesus, the Bible says, comes up. Jesus drew near and went with them. Now, he's disguised. They don't know who he is. Now, we don't know who they are. Let's pretend that they're you and me. All right? And they couldn't see him. And I'm thinking some of you can't either. Maybe many of you. You can't recognize him. You have the problem that these two guys have. Look at the scripture. says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. In fact, Jesus comes up to them and says, why are you so downcast? <laughs> what, are you blind? They said, are you the only one, you're the only one around here who doesn't know what's going on? I mean, Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet, mighty in word and deed. I mean, he, I mean, the chief priests, the elders have taken him. They've crucified him. He's dead. And then these words, we were hoping. Can you feel the pathos in that? We were hoping he'd be the one to redeem Israel. These two disciples were all wrapped up in the life of Jesus to deliver them from all their political woes, all their problems, but not their sins. That probably describes some of you. That's the kind of Jesus you want, the the one who fixes your marriage, takes care of your finances, you know, makes everything go well, makes your health better. I got a better idea. How about one that will take your sins away and make you ready for heaven? Amen? Amen? So Jesus is pretty much beside himself at this point. Their hearts are cold. They've probably traveled maybe less than a mile as they're just vomiting out all this. They've got a five, six miles to go. And Jesus speaks up. He looks at them and he says, Oh, foolish ones. And look at, say it, slow of what? Say it. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And they're looking at him like, what? And the Bible says, at this point, Jesus, over the next six miles, beginning at Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets began to interpret all of those passages in the Old Testament, applying them to himself. And now, 
their hearts are starting to get stirred. Their eyes are adjusting because the word of God in the flesh is teaching the word of God in scripted. How cool is that? And things are happening. They're starting to adjust. They're starting to see it and to see him differently. I know something about adjusting your eyesight in recent days. Just the other day, I got a message from a friend. If you've been with us in this series, and even if you haven't, it doesn't matter. About three, four weeks ago, I, I gave an illustration about how Christ died on our, in our place. I told about a grade school buddy of mine in sixth grade, 48 years ago, mind you. Lining up for a tackling drill, I'm going to get hit by the biggest, meanest guy in the school. And he taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, I'll, I, I want to get this over. Let me go ahead of you. I went, yeah. He went ahead of me, bang, got hit by the guy, broke his shoulder. Lie there writhing in pain. And as I shared several weeks ago, I looked down at him, I thought, oh, he just took my place. And as I shared to the congregation then, that's what Jesus did for us. I found out in the process that he lives close enough that he could visit. I asked him to come to church that day. And guess what? He didn't show up. But he said, hey, I'll listen to it. I said, okay, one week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks go by, and just the other day he got back with me. And I opened up. I said, oh, he's gotten back with me. He says, I, he goes, I watched your message. Yes. He goes, you ought to be ashamed of yourself because you lied to your congregation. I, I thought, what? Yeah, I didn't tap you on the shoulder. You pushed me, he said. Except he wasn't joking. I went back and forth. I said, that's not the way my memory serves me. Well, that's the way my memory serves me. <laughs> You're ruining my illustration, I said. I didn't say that to him. I actually have one of my best friends growing up was right there on the spot. We still see each other every summer. I actually called him. I said, told him what happened. He goes, oh, Pat, I was there. It's, it, your version is the right version. But what was I going to do? He was mad. He's held this against me for 48 years. So I thought and prayed about it, and I said to him, I said, yeah, hey, look, I don't know if your memory is serving you better than mine, but I'll own this. Either way, what happened to you was my fault. Either because I let you go ahead of me, or because I shoved you. Bottom line, bottom line was he still took my place. Here's the difference. He did it unwillingly. But Jesus, according to plan, did it willingly for you and for me. Still a good illustration. <laughs> How do you know, by the way, I mean, here is Jesus. He's explaining these things. And suddenly the Bible says, he, they, he, they get in the house. He's explaining these things. And their eyes are what? They're, they're opened. They're opened. And they recognized him. That word recognize is a really cool word. It means to know exactly. They knew exactly who Jesus was. They knew him not just by physical recognition, but as the one who now died in their place and rose again victoriously on that day. That's how they knew him. And as soon as they knew him, the Bible says, 
he disappeared. And they turned to one another. And they looked at each other and they went, holy smokes, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and opened to us the scriptures, which is what God does. You want to know whether, you want to know how you can know if God is opening your eyes to recognize his son Jesus? Listen. Listen. You'll know God is opening your eyes to see him when there's a burning in your heart to know him. Salvation isn't just a head thing. It's a heart thing. It always has been a heart thing. That's why Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, that's when you'll be saved. And what happens is you recognize Jesus. You see yourself as a sinner. You see yourself as lost. You see yourself as in need of Jesus. And you turn to him. God opens his, he'll open your heart through his word. Like he did one other person I want to show you and we'll close it up. She's leaving for our new church plant as well. We call her our English Rose. One of my favorite stories. For months, she wrestled with the story of salvation. Then one day, Pastor Chuck, also going with the new church plant, sent her home and gave her John 11. And she stared at it, and she read these words. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus, with a little evangelistic flair, adds these words. Do you believe this? Those are Jesus' words. And Claire, staring at the text, said, yeah, I believe it. She did, and God gave her a new heart just like he'll give you. If God is causing you to see Jesus today for the first time and your heart is burning within you to know him, you recognize that you are a sinner and you're lost and only his death and resurrection personally applied to you can save you, then trust him today and you will be resurrected and saved. God, thank you for this time we could be together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death and resurrection. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for these reminders. Thank you for the son of God risen in our hearts. And we sing hallelujah to him in praise. And I pray, dear God, that you would open up hearts today, burning hearts to believe on the Lord Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.